listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. But I'll tell you, over the last few weeks, we've been getting together as a group of guys and going over through the book of James. And last week, Kevin started it off. And um, James is actually one of, it's in my top 10 list of New Testament books that I like because James is really, I, I really, I can get James because we're kind of similar. He's really to the point. He has just a lot of bits of wisdom, but it's just real short and sweet. It's not real lengthy and um, all this, a lot of eloquent. In fact, I've been reading in the book of Job because I'm trying to read through the Bible in a year, and so we just happen to be in the book of Job. It's going through the, the, basically the, the chronological order. So we got through Genesis, now we're in Job. And Job's friends, man, when they talk, they just go on and on and on. So I'm like, man, how long am I going to be in Job? But James is not like that. He's just short and sweet and to the point. And so today we're going to be in verses uh, 19 through 27. So if you want to go grab your Bibles or your e-device or whatever it is you, you use, you can get that pulled up there. But what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about wisdom. And as I was going through this, we were just, me and God, and we're working through, okay, what's this passage about? What's, it, what's, what's in it that I need to deliver to you? I don't want it to be where it's just me, given my, my, my understanding of it. I want it to be something impactful. But I also want to put my, my signature on it of how I want to help guide you along of how I've basically brought this into uh, understanding and how it really applies. And so what I do is, is usually when I'm going through scripture is I'm, I'm saying, okay, what's in the context? Um, unfortunately for today, today, our kids, they have YouTube. And so when I ask them to go do something that they're not really familiar with, they just pull up YouTube and they say, how do you do this? How do you do that? And then they can pull up a video. Well, when I was growing up, we didn't have that. And in, in the scriptures, we don't have YouTube videos of what James was going through at the time. So we have to really create that in our own minds. And for my boys, I see that kind of as a, it's a great thing that we have those things like YouTube. But for them, they, they have the hard time of like, what's the context of James? So we have to really kind of put that all in, in place. Well, one thing that James was talking about is he's going to be talking about wisdom. And so me being me, I had to say, well, let me think back to all the wise people that I know. And of course, I can go into the scripture and find all kinds of wise men there. But personally, who, who can I really relate to as far as a wise person? And I kept thinking about, because of what I was reading, and we'll get into that, but I kept thinking about a person in my life, and it was my grandfather. Um, I called him Papa. I had Papa and Nana. And it was my, my grandfather on my mom's side. Him and his wife, um, they lived in Georgia. And I was about eight years old eight or nine years old, when he started to build a house out in Decula, Georgia, in Gwinnett County, just outside of Atlanta. He worked for Home Depot at that time. And so he took it upon himself using that benefit of getting those benefits to, to build a house. And this is that, um, I got a picture of the house that he built. And I had the opportunity to spend summers with him building this house with him. And as I look back on it, I think about how fun it was and how much I learned just by being alongside of him. 
So on this house, um, you can see that it's just a simple house. Um, he built this as kind of his, his final retreat. When he was getting ready to retire, he wanted to retire there, and he, and he did just that. But there's some things on here that I can just remember. Um, I remember when the foundation was laid and we started laying out the subflooring. And that was the first time that a grown adult had ever given me a hammer. And so he gave me this hammer, not this particular one, but a hammer like this. And he said, go to town, a box of nails. And I just started hammering away. And by the end of the day, I had blisters and bruises all over my hands because I kept hitting my, my thumb and stuff. And I would watch him, and every once in a while, he would hit his thumb, and he'd go, and grimace. And you knew he wanted to say something, but he didn't. He held it back. And so I would try and do the same, and I would just I'd beat those nails down. And, man, it took me probably 100 licks before I could get a nail down into that, that plywood floor. But we did. We did just that. Later on, as he built it, and it was completed, we had all kinds of things that we did. Um, up in the roof attic, the rafters, when we were building those out, before we had the drywall in. He let us go and he said, go sign your name to the house. So I picked a laundry room. I don't know why I picked the laundry room, but it was probably because the ladder was there and I was kind of nervous about getting up in the rafters. Went up in there and I signed my name. So my name is in the house. And I just remember that. Uh, those windows there, you see where the, there's, there's screen windows there, but when we were boys, we would, it was on a road called Drowning Creek. So about a quarter mile down the road was this little creek. And we'd always go fishing for minnows. Well, in order to fish for minnows, you got to have a net. Well, we didn't have the means to have a minnow net. So what we did was we would take those screens, and we'd take a knife, and we'd cut those screens out. And we'd take my grandma's thread, and we'd thread up our, our minnow nets. And we'd go in the pantry, and we'd raid the pantry of all the bread. And it was always stocked with bread, and it always was stocked with little Debbie's. There was never a time when I went to that pantry in that, in that house, and there was never a time where I went and it was empty of Little Debbie snacks. I don't know how my grandmother did it, but she always had it stocked with Little Debbies. Um, in fact, when my grandma moved, she moved out of this house and she went to live in a different city. And so when I returned back and I went to that new house, I opened up the pantry and there was no Little Debbies. And I was like, oh, it's over. So there are probably still little Debbie snacks in this house. But we'd rip those screens out. We'd go down Drowning Creek. We'd hunt for minnows all day. We'd put them into a five-gallon paint bucket. We'd bring them up to the house and set that paint bucket outside of the house, and those minnows would die. We didn't know what we were going to do with those minnows, but we had a good time getting them. My grandfather would come home after he just built this house and took a bunch of time and money into it. He'd shake his head because he saw a bunch of dead minnows in a bucket, so he knew exactly what happened. And he'd look over and he'd see his screens were all cut out. And he knew that his grandkids had done fun minnow fishing. And so then the next day we knew what rescreening windows was. So he taught us all kinds of valuable lessons in those things. And so we're grateful for the, the, my brother and I for those, those lessons. My uncle was only about six years older, so he had to work a lot. And he was the one who was instigated a lot of things. If you look over here on the side of the house, there's a little patch of dirt right there. That's where we got bored one day, and we'd already cut the windows out. And my grandfather hadn't gotten the materials yet to rescreen them. So we couldn't go minnow fishing. So we said, well, let's play Army. So in the back of the house, we had a little garden that he had, he had dug out. And he had a tiller, a little, one of those little tillers you have for a small garden, gas-powered one. 
My uncle said, hey, what we can do is we can build a foxhole. And instead of digging it by hand with a shovel, we can use this tiller. So we took that tiller and we let it go. And it got six feet deep. We actually got a hole six feet deep with that tiller. And we kept shoveling that stuff out and finally had to pull it out. But we had a foxhole that we could actually stand in. We set up little concrete blocks around it. And we started shooting fake bullets with our fake guns at cars that went by. He came home. What'd you do with my tiller? And why'd you dig a six-foot hole on the side of my house or the side of my yard? We had to fill that hole in. So we took everything we could. We didn't take the dirt for some reason. We just took a bunch of junk and threw it in the hole. <laughs> and then we covered it up with dirt just to get rid of it. The very top thing that was there was this blanket, but underneath that blanket was this bouncy ball. A couple years later, the dirt kind of washed away, kind of eroded away. And there was this little blanket with this bouncy ball. And for years and years, my cousins got to bounce in this bouncy hole. They called it the bouncy spot. And they didn't know that it was a result of my shenanigans with my brother at that very house. But I remember all those things because I remember how wise my grandfather was. And I, I think maybe it's, I attributed the wisdom to him because he didn't tan my hide for all the things I did. He just sat back and just smiled and just, he, he took it in. He took it in. And so it reminds me of, of a wise man. So those things that he taught really laid a foundation for me. Because I, while I was going through all these shenanigans with him, I, I really learned a ton and I watched him. And I, and I realize now that I have a lot of the same personality traits as he does. Um, hopefully my boys think I'm patient with them. Um, I know I sometimes can scare them to death. Uh, they come to me in, in fear and trepidation sometimes because sometimes I can get a little short-tempered and I can get on to them. But sometimes I hope, I, I, I hope that I ex- exhibit a lot of grace to them, the same way that grace was exhibited to me. Because I try and remember the things that I did, the silly things that I did when I was young. But um, I just, I remember watching him and learning and just, being an awe because what often he would do also is he would come home and he would sit in the front porch area every day after he got off of work. They had two little metal chairs back then and he would come home and his wife, she would make him some coffee and they would just go and sit out there and watch, this, watch the road. They didn't watch TV, they didn't play video games and all that stuff that we were interested in. They just sat there and drank their coffee and talked about the day, the life's problems. And it stuck with me about, man, he just, he, he had that, that time to just sit there and be quiet and just enjoy what he made. Um, just the time he spent with her, just, he was really always so quiet. And that's, maybe, that's the, maybe that's the thing that stuck out to me is because he had his wife and she was kind of, she's, she's kind of loud. My grandmother's kind of a loud person. She talks a lot. Um, in fact, it's funny when I call her on Mother's Day and Christmas and those kind of things, what I usually do is, is I end up saying like, you know, hello, Nana, how are you doing? She's, she said, oh, I'm good. I'm and she runs that conversation for three minutes. She'll talk nonstop and won't let you get in the word in edgewise. And then all of a sudden, she'll decide it's over. And she'll be like, I love you. I'll talk to you later. And I, and I said four words to her. I said, I love you, Nana. 
and that's, and that's it. But she's excited that I talked to her and I spent some time, spent, you know, made the time to call her. But she's that kind of lady. She was talking, 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 talk. So my grandfather wasn't able to talk very much. But then he also had two boys and a girl, and they are crazy. My mom is crazy. My uncles are crazy. And so they're always running around the house doing kind of things. So he just kind of just learned. He was the kind of guy who just said, you know what? I'm going to sit back and just watch. I'm going to watch this show. And then when I need to speak, I'm going to say something. I'm going to, I'm going to meet it. I'm going to make it sure that it's to the point. And so that's the kind of, kind of person that he was. When he passed away, the um, thing that I, I, I went to the funeral and those kind of things, and, and my, my grandmother's like, you know, is there something of his that you want? And so I went out to his workshop, and I found a carpenter pencil. I said, that's what I want, because it reminds me of the time that we spent building that house together. So I tried to find that carpenter pencil. Now I remember that I took it and showed my boys and we went out and we did a project and now it's in my garage and it's, it's a mess. But I still have that carpenter pencil. And I remember when I look at that carpenter pencil of who he was and what he taught me. James, the brother of Jesus, was most likely very similar to my grandfather because I, as, I, as I looked in the book of James, I really want to look at James and examine who he was as a person. And so we believe James to be the brother of Jesus. And if you can recall, Jesus' father was who? Joseph. And what was his profession? He was a carpenter. And so that's where I got the tie there. I'm like, you know, he, he was a carpenter. He didn't have probably a carpenter's pencil because at that time they probably didn't have carpenter's pencils you'd get from Home Depot. But he must have most likely watched his father, just like I watched my grandfather, long hours in the workshop, putting together things for other people, putting together furniture, building up, you know, siding for the homes that they're going to put in, whatever they were doing in that region. But I can just imagine James sitting there and watching his dad, being there with his brother Jesus, and probably had a hard time because Jesus was always doing it right. James would give him a hammer, or James would get a hammer, and he'd pow, pow, and he'd hit his thumb, and Jesus would be like, you know, just one nail and go pow, and that nail would go sink and countersunk, just perfect every time. And his dad would say, good job, Jesus, good job. James, you got to keep trying, you know, keep trying. You're, you're going you're gonna to do okay. And James would just get frustrated. Man, man, but probably kept at it. Now, I'm sure that his father loved him just as much as he loved Jesus and wanted to teach him those things that a father should teach his son. And as he's working and working in his father's shop, learning that trade of carpentry, he's also learning about life, learning about the tools that he's going to need to prepare him for life, about how to live for God, to put him first, and that they also learned about how their family had been chosen. Chosen to be the one who would be the, the, the caretaker for Jesus. That he was the adopted father. That James' dad was the adopted father. He was the adopted brother of Jesus. And that they were, they were on a mission. But it was kind of a secret mission. And they couldn't really just tell the whole world because the whole world wouldn't believe it. And they, if they did go out, they'd be, the whole world would think that they were just crazy. You're crazy. 
You're just trying to puff yourself up or something. But Joseph would be saying, no, 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 we're here for a purpose. There's a reason for this. And so James, when he's given us instructions to the church of Jerusalem and the, the church that's been spread out amongst all the region because of the persecution that's going on now, he's taken that and he's, that's all built on a foundation from his past. And so we have verses one, or 19 through 27 in James 1, and it says this. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in, the, in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what, it was, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So, when my grandfather was building his house, he first laid a solid foundation. And like I said, I remember that foundation. I remember putting those wood floors in there on top of that foundation. And James, what he's doing is his, he starts off with laying our foundation. James lays our foundation with using our ears instead of our tongues. And what he's going to do over the next several verses is he's going to give us some certain tools that we can use as individuals to better our lives. Like I said, he was not a person who spoke a lot of different eloquent things and just on and on and on about a subject. He got straight to the point. So he's going to give us certain tools that we can use. And so the first tool he gives us, that he lays our foundation with, is using our ears instead of our tongues. In verse 19, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear. Quick to hear meaning listen. Listen to everything around you. Quick to hear. Verse 19 says, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. So basically you've heard it before. You have two ears and one, t- one mouth. Use them in proportion. That's the way my grandfather was. He never really was quick to speak. He would sit in his chair and just listen and just soak it all in. He listened to everyone. In fact, he didn't just listen to people, what people were saying. He also listened to the people that didn't speak. He watched them and he noticed when people weren't paying attention or when they weren't part of the, the group there. And he would, he, would, he would notice those kind of things. And when he had something to say, he would make it just shorten to the point and you knew where he was, where he stood. I picked that up from him and I, I like to listen myself. Um, if, you get, if you get to know me on a, like a personal level, when I first get to know you, I'm not going to speak to you very much. I'm just going to say a couple things. Um, I have a partner at work, and he's a talker. And he likes to tell this story about how one day we were driving down the road. He gets in my truck, and we're driving down the road, and he starts talking. And I had the radio on, and I just turn it down. He's like, oh, you can listen to the radio. And I, I said, no, that's all right. He's like, no, why'd you turn the radio? And I said, because I know you like to talk. 
And I was just going to let him talk and talk. And he wasn't going to let me listen to my radio. He was going to talk. But that's just, I'm going to let him, I'm going to let him talk and I'm going to listen. And so that's kind of the people that I, I, I have friendships with is those are the people I, because they, they can talk all they want and I won't interrupt them. But as I get to know them and learn about them, then I want to talk to them and it's going to be short and sweet and that's it. James also brings up an emotion that we all experience. He says in verse 19 that we need to be ang- uh, slow to anger. So he brings up this. One is, is we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And as I was meditating on this, I had, a, I had an issue with this one because I was like, ooh, this one is, I, I would love to just go right over this, but I can't. And I wanted to, I, I desperately wanted to. And the more I thought about it, I just, I, I can't. We have to be slow to anger. Because verse 20 says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. See, anger is one of the more complex emotions that we experience. It's often a result of something that occurs from external stimuli. So as a carpenter, we have all these tools, right? We have different hammers. So I got big hammers, little hammers. Ever been in the hammer section of Lowe's or Home Depot? You got a regular hammer, general purpose hammer. And you got things like a framing hammer. I've never framed, or not framing hammer, but this is a drywall hammer. I've never done drywall. In fact, I'm terrible at drywall. But I had to buy this because it looks like a tomahawk and it's cool. <laughs> but this is a drywall hammer. It doesn't have a typical claw. It's got basically just an axe. It's just for basically shaving down the edge of the, the drywall. But it has a real wide uh, head for it so you can just hit those nails. Now, they don't use nails in the drywall anymore. They use screws. So they, these are obsolete. But it's also very, very light. It's a nice, great tool. Like I said, I've never used a drywall hammer for drywall. I just like it because it looks like a tomahawk. But there's different tools. But a lot of tools that we use in construction are for putting things together, right? Hammers and nails. They bring pieces of wood. And I can take two pieces of wood, hammer them together with some nails, and man, I got, I'm building something, Right? If I'm using a crescent wrench, adjustable wrench, I can use this to put together bolts and nuts, bind things together, put them all together, right? Bring things together so I can build something. So we have those tools. If we listen, it's like a hammer. We're bringing things together. We're bringing people together when we're listening. We're slow to speak. We're building things together. Anger, though, it's kind of like that tool, like a saw. Now, Joseph, I'm sure, didn't have a reciprocating power saw, right? He had that old-style saw. He had to do it by hand. But today, we use these kind of things. And when we get angry, it's powerful. When we get angry, we blast it on Facebook. When we get angry, we blast it all over the world, news or whatever we, what social media we have. When we get angry in the car, we blast it out. We honk our horn. We give them a, a handshake or a wave with one finger or whatever you're doing. And then we pass by them real fast, and hopefully we don't have that Oasis sticker on the back saying that we go to Oasis Church when we do that, right? Anger is like a saw. Anger cuts. Anger divides. 
Sometimes you need it, though. Sometimes you need it to do it. But I know when I was going through this, God was just saying, you know what? Sometimes you use the saw way too much. And if you cut your wood and you start cutting and you keep cutting, you're going to waste that wood because you cut it too short. So then you got to go and find another piece of wood and start over, right? So you got to be very, very careful. you got to be very, very, very precise. The old adage is measure twice, cut once, right? Make sure you're, you're doing that or else you waste. Anger is a lot like that. Um, it's one of the least beneficial things that we have, one of the least beneficial emotions we have. There are different types of anger. There's like the tired anger. I get that quite a bit. Working long hours at work, working um, different hours. Your body's not used to it, especially as you get older. It's harder. When you're young, you can work and go to school or whatever and then go out with your friends all night and then wake up two hours later. I remember being in the military and being able to do that kind of stuff when I was a young 20-something-year-old. Now, if you ask me to go out, I'm like, if it's going to go past 830, I'm like, no, I ain't going to do it. I'm in bed by nine. So there's a tired anger. Then there's the hungry anger. I get that quite a bit too. I mean, look at me. I get hangry. And this is especially true even at work. My partner knows that if I go past like 1, 1.30 and I haven't had lunch, it's going to be a bad day for somebody. It's going to be a bad day. I'll get hangry. Anger you experience when you do something embarrassing. When you embarrass yourself, you get angry. When you are hurt physically or emotionally, when you bust your nail on a hammer, you get angry. But anger, what we can do is, is we can really categorize anger in one of two categories. There's the category of where we oftentimes find ourselves dwelling, and that's not so beneficial. We have a couple of verses. There's a verse, Proverbs 29, 11. It says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quickly holds it back. Full vent to his spirit, meaning you just blast off at the mouth. You're angry and you're acting like a fool. Ecclesiastes 7, 9 says, be not quick in your spirit to become angry. For anger lodges in the heart of fools. Colossians 3.8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so as I was looking at this verse, I was, and as I was dwelling on it, God was like, man, you, you have an angry spirit sometimes. And you need, you need to really pay attention to this. And so I'm, I'm just confessing to you, and, and maybe you're in that same thing. Maybe you're in that same mode where you have an anger issue, an anger problem. You have a short fuse. Understand where that's coming from and deal with it. Now, there is another, there's, a, there's an unrighteous anger, which is where we oftentimes find ourselves camping in, but then there's also a righteous anger. An anger that is suitable for us to experience as Christians. It's righteous anger, anger, anger that's born from the anger of the Holy Spirit. And this is the type of the anger that caused Jesus, when he went into the temple, to start tossing the tables of the, the, the uh, money changers. See, during this time, during the time of Jesus, when you um, went to the temple, there was different currency that was around. Uh, Israel or Jerusalem was occupied by the Romans, and so the Romans used their Roman currency. It had Caesar's seal on it, and that was the official coin that you're used to, to do commerce. 
If you had to pay your taxes, it had to be in Roman coin. The temple had its own kind of coin that they had their seal on. It was in, in, in script, the, inscribed with, with some, I'm not sure what it was, but it had their, they had their own money that they had. So there was this problem. The people that were out in the country, they had Roman coins. So when they came, they couldn't, the temple wouldn't take those coins because it had Caesar's seal on it. So they go through this process of money changing, which I'm sure Jesus had no problem with. The problem he had was is that he saw the money changers charging this crazy amount, this crazy tax on it. The other issue is, is that the guys that would come in from the country, they would often travel a long ways. And so what they would do is, is they had to bring sacrifice. They had to bring doves or bulls or whatever they had to bring. And so to bring animal and livestock on a long journey like that, they had a hard time with. And so when they did, they would bring what they had. And they would come up to the priest. And the priest, he may have been in, in cahoots with the money changers because he would see a dove that the, this family had brought. They're poor. And he'd say, that dove's not acceptable. It's got a blemish on it. You can go buy one of the doves from here, but you've got to change your money out. And so Jesus, seeing all this, he gets furious. And so he, in Matthew 21, 12 through 13, it says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, his he said to him, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you made a den of robbers. So you see anger, you see Jesus experiencing anger, but this is a righteous anger. Uh, we too can have um, anger. His, kin- his anger was kindled against those that were robbing the people to gain wealth and preying upon those trying to worship in the prescribed manner of the Old Testament. And we, we should experience righteous anger when we see things like injustice or uh, sins against the Holy Spirit, suffering, etc. But this righteous anger in us, it shouldn't consume us. It needs to be short-lived, just like it was with Jesus. He went through the temple, he cleansed the temple, ran them out. He actually, it says he fashioned a cord of um, a rope and was like driving, like whipping them and getting them out of there. But once he was done, he was done. He didn't continue to, to dwell on it. That was it. He exhibited the anger and that was, it was done, done with. He didn't let it consume him. And so we as, as Christians, we, need, we can experience righteous anger as well. And when we experience righteous anger, we, can, we need to deal with the situation and then go back to what we were as Christians and living in grace. The, the key is, is if, we, if we see that we're experiencing more anger than grace, then there might be a problem there. It might be entering the area of unrighteousness. Next, we're to act upon what we hear and know. This is the framing of the Christian life. So we've laid our foundation. We've got tools that we're ready to to build this foundation. But now we need to frame out our Christian life. So James takes us to the next step of how we can frame out what we're we're trying to build the Christian life. And that's the gospel lived out in your life. In verse 22, he says, But be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. 
For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So the framing of the Christian life is to be doers of the word, the the gospel. Uh, Doers of the word, the word is their logos, the, the word. The gospel lived out in our lives. So it's the law of liberty. So the law of liberty is basically the commandments lived out with grace, with Christ's grace. Because at that time, there was the law. The Jews knew the law existed. And all it was there for was to condemn us. And so if you violate the law, you were put to death. And it seems that there were always stones around because every time you read about someone violating the law, they picked up stones and, and were ready to stone them to death. And so I don't know if they brought carts of stones in and just laid them all about the city or if they were just all over the floor or what. But it seems like there was always stones available. And Jesus was always going around saying, whoa, 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 stop, stop. Grace, grace, cover that with grace. When we receive the gospel into our hearts, oftentimes it, our anger drives us to want to pick up those stones and be ready because we're angry. We're angry. But God says, no, let's give grace. Let's give grace. Grace as it has been given unto us. And so the framework is, is us being doers of the word. We have to, we have to do what we're, we're reading about. We have to do what we're hearing. And this, this is a problem for us because imagine that you have this new church. This, this new church that has this, this Messiah named Jesus and he's, he's raised from the grave. And now you're a, you were formerly a Jew, but now you're a converted Jew and you follow Jesus. You've been kicked out of your family, your household, because you've accepted this Messiah that your family doesn't accept, so they reject you. The society you're in doesn't want to do commerce with you because you're basically cast out. And so they, they have a hard time with this, this persecution, and they're, they're having to move out of their community and go into new communities. I'm sure that there were some people that were very bold and passionate at that time. They just said, you know what? It's fine. I'm committed. I'm going to do it. But I'm sure at the time there were also people that were just like us. They said, you know what? I, I love Jesus and I'm not going to deny him, but let me just go to, let me just go to the synagogue on Saturday and, and I can worship Jesus and I'll just kind of enjoy my time. And then Monday th- or Sunday through Friday, I'll, I'll do my thing. I'll, I'll go back to the workshop and do my carpentry skills and make a living and raise my family and try to do the best I can. And that's going to be the end of it. I mean, I'll do, once in a while I'll do things like I'll, I'll give to the mission fund and I'll give to, you know, the, this guy, Timothy, he's, he's going off and doing these missions and I'll, I'll support that. I'll send my kids to this, the little school that we got set up over there the little Christian school, so they learn how to do it. That's good. But I can't upset this too much. He says, no, we got to be doers of the word. It's the largest obstacle I think that's in our church today. It's making us irrelevant to a needy culture because we sometimes are the same way. Come to church, 
That's good enough, right? It's good enough. I even put a sticker on my car. Maybe someone will see it and want to come to church. We're supposed to be doers of the word. We're supposed to be out there going out to the community, helping those in need, showing love and support, encouraging repentance, living not as a world, but as how Christians, Christ instructs us. James said, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The thing is, is that oftentimes what we do is, is we, James wants us to build this foundation, okay, by being slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger. And then we have the framework of living the gospel. When we're living the gospel, that's our framework. That's, that's the studs that are 16 inches on center. But what we need to do is every once in a while, we need to measure that up. So we need to get out our tape and just make sure that we're on square, that we're plumb, that our framework's not out of whack. And so every once in a while, we need to inspect ourselves and see what's going on. And allow others to inspect us, just like we have If you're going to build a building right now, the house that he built, he had to invite people there and they would sign off on it. That was inspected and that met the building requirements, the code that was there, that was set. In our own lives, when we are living out the gospel, we we need to do that same thing. We need to examine what we're doing, what God's called us to do. And I'm not telling you what you have to do because that's going to be a unique thing to you because Christ has called you to something different than he's called me to. But you need to live the, the gospel out in whatever you've been called to do. So examine yourself and examine what God has truly called you to do. And do you, do you measure up? Are you square? Are you plumb? Are your corners 90 degrees? To be hearers and not doers is like watching a home renovation show for hours on end. Some of you at home, if I were to go and turn on your TV, it'd be on HDTV right now. And you'd see my tiny house, home renovation, listed or whatever, all these design shows. But you never, do you do them? Do you do those things? Do you ever pick up a hammer and try? Do you ever try it yourself? Or you just watch other people do it? Christ wants us not to do that. Are we going to church and then living like a pagan Monday through Saturday? Those that do this are like the religious that James speaks about in verse 26. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If we're living this out, then our religion is worthless. It's just like every other religion out there, a cult. Because it's not living, it's not the living word. It's not the gospel lived out in our lives. But religion that is pure and undefiled is this, before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world, to separate ourselves from the world, to help those in need, to do what's right. You see, what James is, was trying to do is this, he's trying to get us to our final product. And so I have here a house that hopefully God is maybe... It's an illustration of a home that God wants us to have. Maybe this isn't your style, but maybe you're more of the, 
the rural kind of guy. This is more my style. A cabin with a pond and man, that's that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that, that's the kind of quarters that God wants for you in your life if you were to represent your your life with a house. It's like, man, that's perfect. What we do oftentimes is, is we throw out his plan and we, we keep on just going and we make mistakes. And we say, oh, you know what? That's okay. Uh, we'll just keep working through it. And so we end up with things like this. It's kind of hard to see here, but you have a drawer here and there's a wall. You can't use those drawers. What's that about? We're doing the same thing when we say, you know what? I don't have to worry about what God's plan is because he's not going to get on to me. I'll just go to church and it'll be all right. Yeah, or like that. Let's build a driveway and you can't even pull in the driveway. I've got to wonder what these guys were thinking. But they said, you know what? We're just going to go right on through. We're going to go right ahead and do this. We're going to spend this money and waste this time and talent and labor and all this money and expense. That's a window with a pole through it. They didn't do it just once. They did it through the entire building because it was drawn that way. Well, let's keep on going. Well, they got their plans mixed up. They had the wrong plans. When you're doing these things and you just, you don't live out the gospel in your life, that's, that's what we're building. We're not building those houses that God intended us for us to build. You're building something like that. Problem is, is that as we're in the moment, we just say, you know what, it's okay, we'll just move on. But we don't see six years from now, 10 years from now. I don't, I don't think my grandfather ever thought that him taking me out to, to build a house would have such an impact on me some 30-something years later. I don't think he ever thought of that. I thought he thought, you know what? I'm going to spend time with my grandson. I'm going to take him out, and he's going to learn how to swing a hammer. What had a tremendous impact on me. Same way with you guys and me. When we go out into the community and we're passing out flyers and we're putting them up on the door, I got to tell you a little, I got to tell you a story. My boys are in the scouts, and in a couple of weeks, they have this pancake breakfast to raise money for their camping and going to do things. And so <clears throat> I'm trying to be involved, and so I'm the scout master. I got roped into doing that. Like I have all the time in the world for that. I don't. But I, I love them, and I want to be there to help guide them along. And so here I am, the scout master of this troop. And so t- yesterday was a day we were supposed to go out and sell tickets throughout the community at the Scouts meet in. They're part of a Hope Presbyterian. That's where they meet at. And we're supposed to, to go and meet as a troop. So at 10 o'clock, we're there. And it's me and my two boys, and no one else is showing up. So I'm like, okay, well, let's go. And they're like, oh, they, why do we have to go? Why do we have to go? I'm like, come on, let's go. We're going to sell some tickets. We're here, we're going to do it. And part of it is, is I know that they're not going to make any money, hardly any money, but they're going to go through the experience of it. So we go to the first couple of doors. People are scared of them because one is 16. And he's got this kind of scruffy, shaggy like stuff, and he doesn't really talk to you very much like I am. 
You won't buy pink tickets? And they're like, tickets for pink? I don't, I don't. And so you got to explain to him. Like, you've got to talk to him. Like, first tell him that you're a Boy Scout. They might not even know what a Boy Scout is. And then you got to tell them that, hey, we're trying to raise money for camping, and why should they invest in pancakes with you? you gotta, you got to talk to them through this. And my other one's just, Dad, I want to I go to the Super Bowl thing, and I want to get chicken nuggets for the Super Bowl. He'd rather talk about that than selling pancakes. And he wants to argue with me about tomorrow instead of just dealing with today. And I'm saying, no, son, just, just go up to the door. So they finally get up to this one guy, and he's outside washing his car. I'm like, oh, that's easy. You know he's there. So you already got him. Good. So they go up to the guy, and they say, sir, they finally get the, the spiel down, even though they practiced this in their scout troop like three weeks in a row. But they go up to him, sir, we're from Troop 565, and we're selling tickets for all-you-can-eat pancakes for Sunday next week and it's raising money for our camp and would you like to buy one? He says no. And they say okay. And they turn around dejected. And I'm like no wait stop. Watch. And so I asked him I said what did you see after that? He said no. I said no what did you see? What did you see? He's, he was washing his car. I'm like no what did you see? And I said immediately after you, he said no he reached down and grabbed his wallet. He was going to give you a donation, but you guys turned away and gave him an out. You got to be hearers. You got to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I was able to take that little moment and share the same thing that James was trying to teach us. Watch people. So a couple houses later, I got an old lady. And they stood there and just smiled. And she's like, okay. So she went and got $2 and gave them $2. But they got to win, $2. So they learned a couple important lessons. One is that they're not salesmen, just like their dad. But two, watch, observe, check out people. And do those things. Apply them. So... Those small moments, hopefully my boys will remember me dragging them out 30, 40 years from now or something like that. And maybe, who knows, maybe they'll be up on a stage proclaiming the words of God, but using that as an illustration of my God taught me, my, my dad taught me about God. Just like my grandfather taught me about God. So next week we're going to Take what James has been building as a foundation framework, and you understand that. It's not going to be something that you see and obvious to you right now, but it's later on you're going to look back and say, man, that's, that's where God was bringing us through. And say, wow, what an amazing God. And you have a, you're going to have a house up there, and you're going to say, man, let me tell you the stories about that, about the times we had in that house about the times we had in my life that God had just built for me. And now we're going to, next week, we're going to start learning about how to apply that and then build upon that and take that to a community. So it's going to be an awesome thing. Like I said, James is really short and to the point and practical, but it's very, very practical for us as Christians. 
So reflect on that this week. Reflect on yourself. Measure yourself up. Inspect your life. Are you square? Or do you have a problem with your saw, your anger? Are you just going and cutting everything up? Check yourself. Make sure that you're up to code. But in the meantime, what we'll do is we're going to go out and celebrate and have fun with Super Sunday. My team's not up there, so I don't care who wins. But uh, hopefully have a good time. And then just, just enjoy the moment. Live it out. Live out the gospel. Try and find some, Do me this. Try and find out one time this week where you can put a, inject the gospel into a relationship of something you have. Any kind of relationship you have. If you want it to be easy, put it in your family because they can't, they can't get rid of you, your family. If you want to get in the honors class, do it with a stranger. But find a way to inject gospel living into that relationship somehow. If they have a need, fulfill that need. If they have a problem with a relationship, share with them how Christ has helped you in your relationships. Do something. Come back to me next week and let me know what that thing is. I'm going to give you homework. All right? So figure that out and then report back to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and thank you for all the, the wonderful things you've been able to teach us. But Lord, we thank you for the foundation that James has. And Lord, I'm thankful that you were his brother and you were able to give him just guidance throughout his life and he was able to look back as an adult and see that you truly were the Messiah and that he used all the things that he learned from you as a child and teenager and growing up and even even his rejection while you were here on earth to later lead the church in Jerusalem to write this letter to the the dispersed church so that we can then now some 2,000 years later look at it and go it's still true today it's still true today We need to live out this gospel. You've laid out the foundation for us. And all we need to do is just be obedient and be patient. So Father, give us that obedience and that patience and that willingness to just be not afraid, but to be bold and go before and do as you have asked us to do. In your name we pray all these things. In Jesus' name we pray.